In today's episode, I discuss autonomy with Coulter Wickerham. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Before we get started in today's topic, let me remind you to go and check out EdenHollow.com. This is the company I started to start publishing some Bible study guides and spiritual books, but we're starting to branch out into some fiction and even talking to some other authors. We'd love to have you check out what's going on at EdenHollow.com. Now let's jump into today's episode. Today I have Coulter Wickerham with me. He is a preacher in the Colorado Springs area in Colorado preaching with a church there. He's the husband of a wonderful wife named Lauren and three great kids. And he really does a great job of motivating Christians and working with young people in particular. He's an outstanding guy and somebody you'll really like to get to know. So let's go ahead and jump into the idea of autonomy with Coulter Wickerham. We're talking about the word autonomy today. And we always start in the same place, which is giving a definition. How would you define the idea of autonomy? Autonomy is the ability to be self-governing or make an informed, uncoerced decision. And so in religion, it's used to describe a form of how churches are structured. They're either more or less autonomous in the idea that they are self-governing. They do not have a higher uh, authority. Uh, They do not have a hierarchy that they have to be a submissive to some kind of headquarters or uh, officials that go, you know, kind of upstream. So uh, used in a lot of different legal contexts that I think sometimes help us to think that the religious context is really not all that unique as it may seem on the, on the, at the outset. There's a lot of different church organizations out there in the religious world. And you have some who are very structured, very governed, you know, they have the hierarchy that you talked about, and autonomy is definitely the other end of that spectrum where uh, every, you know, you, you can go from every individual being autonomous, and you can talk about church, uh, local church bodies being autonomous, or you can talk about sections of the church being autonomous. What would you propose would be the biblical teaching on how the church should be structured? I think it does require a difficult balance. Um, well, I guess if you stick with the definition of self-governed, there may not be as much balance needed. But what I'm afraid has happened with some groups are they take autonomy perhaps to an extreme where it's not just self-governed, but now it's not even going to have anything to do with anybody else. And that kind of isolation, I think, can be spiritually unhealthy. And perhaps even in some occasions it can become dangerous and that it's hard for that group to think beyond their boundaries of what is possible for doctrine or just best judgment on moral issues. So, for example, if you're in a group where you might have one guy in charge or one even an, an eldership, you know, a couple of leaders, a couple of men in charge, but if they are dogmatic and dictatorial and they teach church autonomy, they might use that as a way to not let anybody else try to give have any influence over their members over how a church is run 
both biblically and, and in a healthy manner. So we got to be careful to make sure we don't use what I think the Bible does teach, is that churches can be independent. They're governed by their members and their eldership together with a delicate balance there as well. We got to be careful not to let autonomy then become a way that prevents any accountability to outside influences. And so what happens is I think that's that's one extreme is that when someone becomes so autonomous there can be nobody else that influence them besides their leadership because every group is unique and every group has unique challenges they're trying to respond to in their culture uh, and in their community. And so there needs to be some level of freedom and flexibility for those groups to decide, here's what's going to work best in our local context. I'm taking all of the things that you're talking about and I'm applying them to the different places where I have served as a minister. My experience has been fairly similar in all the churches that I've been in. You've been a little more widespread than I have and that I know you've preached in Atlanta or outside of Atlanta. You've preached in Texas. You've preached in Colorado. I'm not sure where all else you have preached. Have you had that same experience where pretty much churches function similarly no matter where you go? I think they have. Um, yeah, the other places have been Kentucky and Florida. So, yeah, mostly my experience has been like yours, mostly the southeast. And they have had a lot of similarities. I really think the problem has been the degree to which people enjoyed the fellowship of nearby places. And I don't know if that's the blame on autonomy. I, I don't know that autonomy is maybe creating that problem. I think there could be other issues that have created that. But yeah, they've been they've been similar uh, at each place, and there's just varying degrees from member to member how much they interact with others outside of their local church context. If some of your writings have um, I've that I've seen on this subject, I've I've been appreciative of because they've reflected some of the things that I've wondered about. I remember you writing something about this idea of you needing to be where people can grow. And so there have been some churches where I've encouraged people to be at another local congregation because I thought it would be better for their family's spiritual health. I, I'm, I'm worried here because of how much I'm going to use the word balance in this podcast. You know, sometimes that can be misused and abused in ways that people don't like. But yeah, when we say that you need to go where you're going to grow, some people will justify leaving a place that they're not happy with because I'm going because I want to grow. And so you need to really ask yourself some deep heart questions about what your motives are and what your goals are, what your hopes are when handling these difficult issues. And I think, your again, your writings on some of this have been, have been helpful because there are some who maybe have either, again, a subconscious or a conscious agenda of wanting to pad their numbers. And so they'll, they will maybe try to convince people, you'd grow better over here. And, and you got to ask yourself, what are my motives when I say that to somebody and, and how am I helping them to grow? Did some reading and getting ready for this conversation in which a guy was warning about how, yeah, you can find these places that have softer standards uh, than where you you've been and and uh, and that can be a lure that gets you to a place that is not going to challenge you as much as you would have been challenged at the other place so you got to be careful about that well let me let me shift gears back to where we were if if the bible teaches that local groups well first of all let me ask how does the bible teach that local groups should be autonomous and then to build on top of that what does that look like for our modern day church. Yeah, in the Bible, you get this picture of uh, there are the churches did have um, awareness of each other and even to a degree partnerships. There was regional interest in how things were going, but in the Bible, the description seems to be consistent that elders were to shepherd the flock of God that was among you. That's First Peter chapter five verse two. 
Uh, they were to exercise oversight. That verse also says there. And so there was this local context that you see constantly described where the shepherds were, they knew that group, they were part of that group, and you just never see, it's, it's an issue of silence, and so we can't argue that there is, or even that there is, that, that, that there is support for a regional developed hierarchy, uh, but from that silence also we've got to be careful to acknowledge that it doesn't, you know, there's never a place where Paul says, thou shalt not have regional bishops, it's instead, it's just affirming what is affirmed, is that it's always describing this local governing group of disciples of Jesus. Uh, in the rare case that Jesus talks about the church, uh, he also doesn't you know, allude to any kind of larger structure. Whenever he's describing how to handle, I think you've had a, uh, an episode before about church discipline. Uh, he talks about taking it before one or two brothers and then before the church. He doesn't take it any higher than that description so you need to have to, you have to ask is it right to define church there in Matthew 18 uh, as a local thing is that what Jesus had in mind or did Jesus have in mind some kind of universal board if that's what he had in mind I have to acknowledge I don't see that described anywhere else in the New Testament uh, some people have tried to use Acts 15 for that uh, and so we don't want to get into a deep dive on what all is going on with Acts 15 but again I don't think that there is a situation of uh, justifying a definition of Jesus' words to be a universal board of of bishops or elders. Um, His ambassadors, the apostles, did not uh, appoint replacements beyond Paul, and there were plenty of guys they could have done that with. They could have, you know, Barnabas could have become uh, an apostle in some kind of larger authoritative context beyond just being a messenger, because that word does get used for him as a messenger in the book of Acts. Uh, Timothy, uh, Paul could have appointed Timothy to be his replacement in that kind of a way, uh, with that kind of language, and he doesn't. And so the consistent witness seems to be throughout the New Testament. Again, I am assuming some definitions of words as I say this that uh, I think could be justified in a longer, deeper dive on some of these terms. Uh, but a con- uh, the constant witness seems to be local congregations that were aware of one another. They did correspond with one another, uh, but they did not have... Uh, anybody beyond the apostles who were in an authority position over them. And once those authority positions died off, uh, we were left with local groups governed by their qualified leaders that we refer to as bishops, shepherds, pastors. Uh, All of those terms get used synonymously in Acts uh, and the church there at Ephesus. And so uh, that would be what I would say is the biblical case for these local congregations. And I'm afraid here, I hope that I don't do more to define what autonomy is not, because I should have maybe spent more time on what autonomy is, but I want to remind uh, all of our listeners that the Bible also does tell us in 1 Peter 2, verse 17, we are to love the brotherhood. And so there is this concept of a larger family of God, a larger people of God, you know, the kingdom of God uh, that is there that we are to love and show awareness of because Barnabas goes to Antioch in Acts chapter 11. And so there is sending um, encouragers to one another, messengers to one another, uh, teachers to one another. And so this cooperation can be done. Uh, The problem has just been in history when the cooperation ends up dominating uh, the church are trying to take control or authority over another local church. And so historically, uh, the, the abuses of this relationship with local churches, I think those abuses have been what people have caused people to maybe overreact in their independence 
is a fear of what might happen if we started to share teachers and share encouragers. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, you've got an interesting statement made about elders or overseers or bishops. And here it talks about these qualities that an elder is supposed to have. And it says there in verse 4, he must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of, the, of God's church? Here's what this whole conversation makes me think of. That an, an elder or a leader in the church, one of those authorities in the church, they are to manage the church similarly to how they have managed their home. If you and I were both fathers, you're a father of three, I'm a father of five. And let's say I'm struggling with... Uh, my my little girl, she's she's nine years old. Uh, you've got girls that are older than my girls. And so I call you up and say, all right, Coulter, I'm struggling here. My, my daughter has done this thing. I don't understand it. Have you ever walked through this before? And you're able to say, um, yeah, <laughs> Adam, this is exactly what we've walked through before. Let me share with you what we did and what we learned about. You, by giving me an, some advice or you, by sharing your experience with me, are not telling me what I have to do. You are sharing with me good information that will help me make the best decision for my family. We take our shared experience and make each other better yes. through advice and fellowship. But that does not change the fact that you are the father and the authority of your home, and I am the father and authority of my home. Taking this concept of autonomy and applying the word balance that you keep talking about here, yeah. how important balance is, is there not a similar possible arrangement there between churches that have elders who function essentially as congregational fathers, but they might go to other elders of other families and talk about, hey, here's what we're struggling with, or here's what we've done, or here's, here's an experience we've had, and be able to share ideas without sharing authority. I, I'm so glad you set it up that way, and that's a great analogy. It's a, um, it's a great question. I amen what you're, I think, uh, hinting at, suggest, uh, um, uh, encouraging. Absolutely, I think that could be done, it should be done, and it does not violate autonomy. And, and, and you know, with some of the other questions we've asked here about it, we don't want to get too far away from autonomy and down a different subject road, but with this issue of elders asking for ideas and help and counsel from other groups, um, you know, if you're not, if an elder's not doing that, I can tell you who probably is, some of your members. And so to continue your analogy further, if one of your children was to come and say, hey, Dad, I hear the Wickerhams do this, you can get mad and say, hey, don't ever tell me again what a Wickerham is doing. I don't want to hear it. And all you're doing is discouraging your kids. You know, and I would do the same thing. It was like, well, I'm, we're never going to do what the Shanks are doing. If I said that to my kids, I've instantly lost respect with them. Why would I do that to my leadership? That, that's a terrible decision for my leadership to do that. And so and members can learn from other congregations and elders can learn from other congregations. And the sooner that elders and members together agree that, hey, we can and we should, and, and we're better off when we learn from other groups. That, that is that is great. And again, that's what I, I, I don't know that I'd explain that well when you go through the letters because I just see it showing up in, in little details throughout the letters over and over and over again where, you know, the Thessalonians, they were known by other congregations for their love and their good works and their growth. And, and, and so 
there is a reputation issue that goes on where congregations get a reputation. We can be mad and kick and scream all we want, but they do. Congregations get a reputation. And instead of acting like it's not there, let's benefit from it and say, hey, if this group is known for evangelism, what can we learn from them for evangelism? If this group is known for having lots of families, what are they doing that's attracting families? If this congregation is known for being able to do uh, lots of foreign evangelism, you know, how did they get to that point? What do they do? So <clears throat> I love your analogy, and, and I, I think that it doesn't violate autonomy. I think it's something that does need to be encouraged. It's going to be hard because people have, you know, when people make jokes, they make the joke because there's a hint of truth to it. And any time that I've been getting together with a group of preachers, a group of preachers are going to study in the Tallahassee area, or a group of preachers are going to study in the Atlanta area. Everywhere I've gone uh, throughout the Southeast, there's either been the desire for preachers to get together and study together, talk together, or uh, it, it already exists or, or they want it to exist. And whenever that stuff gets talked about, both elders and members will say to me, in a, in a smile on their face, as if they're joking, well, that's fine, y'all are getting together, but don't start trying to go you know, rule the brotherhood with it. And, I, and again, like I said yeah. earlier, histor- history shows that, yes, that has happened in the past with some groups, but the fear of something and the abuse of something does not make the something absolutely wrong. And so it's great that preachers have been doing this. You know who else could do this some? is elders. There could be a regional group of elders to get together in Atlanta to, to share ideas. And as soon as I say that, with some people, I'm immediately written off as a heretic. And that's unfortunate because... You know, I, I've never been an elder. I constantly think about how I'm not qualified to be an elder. And so if I ever do get the opportunity to become an elder, I know that I'm going to need a lot of help. And I, I'm going to be making phone calls to people throughout the country because to ask the very thing that you just said, hey, I'm dealing with this here. Have y'all ever had that happen? What did you do? What went well? What went good? What went bad? I want to tackle something that's connected with autonomy that you've said in some of your writings about autonomy and, and share a personal story where you said, uh, this is why some churches that would be better serve the kingdom if they joined together and made one group fight that concept. Spent a lot of time in the Southeast. Been in a lot of towns where there's a lot of local congregations. And so in one of these places where I did begin to recognize very early on that I could encourage a family to that they would grow better at a nearby group that had a lot of maturity. Uh, the group had a lot of maturity, had great godly leaders, had great Bible education program, great worship. And uh, so I encouraged that family to go. And that was a very painful, hard decision because it, it hurt our local group to lose that family. And over time, I encouraged the whole family in that local context, the whole local family of God, to think about where will all of us grow better? If we can never have the shepherds that God desires for us to have, there are opportunities nearby. We live in the southeast where there's lots of local churches. And some of these local churches, some that are 15 minutes to the west, one that's 15 minutes to the east, they could use an infusion of energy from us. And we could use the energy that comes from joining with people who do have leaders, who do have a lot of good things going for them. They were two very different personalities. The one to the west had one reputation. The one to the east had another reputation. I encouraged the disbanding of this local group, knowing that if they disbanded, that meant I was I was out of work to do there. I was I was gonna have to pack up all my stuff and move. That was gonna be hard. It was gonna be painful. It was gonna be costly. I encouraged this disbanding, and people, I'm sure, hated me for it. I'm sure people were very sad. People were very emotional. One brother I know uh, was part of building the local building that that local church used. 
Usually the guy who's been in charge of building that building never wants to leave that building, and so you have to wait for them to pass away before they can move on from that building. But we need to remember that God in the beginning was with dwell, uh, people who were wanderers, nomads. And, and in the beginning, he wanted a tent that could easily move around. It was man's idea that God allowed for it to become a concrete building, the temple that would never again move. And some say, but God designed it all to end up that way. Well, maybe so. But again, Stephen keeps telling in his sermon in Acts 7, Stephen keeps talking about how God used a lot of people who did not live in this land. And God came to people outside this land, and God was with these nomads, these wanderers who had faith and weren't locked into a geographical location so much. And so I was so shocked so thankful when this brother who had helped build the building said, it may be time for us to give the building up and go to another local group. Without his willingness, I'm not sure this would have ever happened, uh, but I moved away from that local congregation to work with a different local congregation in a whole other state many miles away. And within a year, that group disbanded. And through all their pain and suffering and sorrow and their loss, everything they'd stood for for those 20 or so years, maybe 30, uh, to have to give that project up, that we were going to be this local church and this local neighborhood, to give all that up had to really hurt. But reports have come back to me from the people who went to both places, people who went to the east 15 minutes and people went to the west 15 minutes. From both places, reports have come back to me saying, we love it at this new group and we're growing so much. I do hope that perhaps somehow in this podcast, it's really about autonomy. It might encourage some groups to think about what a disbanding would look like because it looks like emerging with other groups. And while maybe yeah. while it may be hard for two groups to merge together because of the autonomy barrier, when you dissolve the congr- the local congregation you're a part of, then that barrier is gone. Now you're just a bunch of individual Christians looking for a new local context to, to, to be a member of a church. And you're merging in with other groups can bring them energy, it can bring you energy, and great things can happen because now we've got more teachers, we've got more deacons, we've got more elders, we've got more parents, we've got more families. And so there's this strength in these groups coming together to, to, to create an impact in the community that struggles to happen when you're divided up into three or four or five groups in that town, wherever you might be, whether you're in a metroplex or a town, you may be more fragmented than you need to be. And so I, I love to encourage people to think about uh, if we were no longer seeing ourselves as a local congregation that has to stay open, has to keep having the dues, has to have these walls up, if you can dissolve all that and see yourself as individual members of God's church that are looking for a local context, you might find some unity that would lead to great things. I heard one uh, elder recently say this. I loved it. I'd never heard it put this way, so I'm so glad that I'm underneath some good elders here who have, that I can learn from. The shepherd got up and he said, sometimes you'll hear people say, power corrupts absolutely. And keep this in mind, he's a former military high-ranking official. I don't remember how far he got, but he's a high-ranking military official. He said, people say that power corrupts absolutely, but what really corrupts is the fear of losing that power. And perhaps that's been what's gone on with some churches and autonomy. I have got to humble myself and remember that God called me, if I'm a shepherd, God called me to serve the members. 
and, and not dictate to the members because I'm afraid, I'm insecure that, oh no, they might learn something from somebody else. They might be more edified by somebody else. I don't know about you, but this has given me a ton to think about. Not just the idea of what autonomy is, but the many ways in which we break autonomy. The many ways in which we stretch it probably too far beyond what God intended it to be for the sake of preserving our power or maybe the ways in which we've abused it by getting uh, separated and disunified from our Christians and other congregations. It is such an important thing that we as a people, the people of God, function as a people. We are a kingdom and we need to be function as citizens of that kingdom together. I hope you'll tune back in with us just a couple of days from now when I have some further thoughts on the idea of autonomy. Until then.